Customer experience is a topic that we cover often on CXO Talk because it's so foundational to modern digital business. And today we're speaking with two people who are really among the world experts in contact centers, which of course is an important part of the overall customer experience picture. Chris Caldwell, who is the president of Concentrix. Welcome to CXO Talk. I'm so thrilled you're here. Great. Well, I, I'm responsible for the Concentrix business globally. Uh, we're about $4.7 billion with about 220,000 staff uh, around 40 different countries around the world. So a uh, fairly large uh, you know, pool of data that we, we look at when we look at customer experience and fairly diverse client group uh, around the world that really allows us to understand, see trends and see where the business is going as a whole. Phil First, we're old friends and it's great to see you back here. Tell us about HFS Research. We're approaching our 10th birthday next year. We're quite global now. We have about uh, 50 staff and one of the largest analyst teams dedicated to what we call the AAA, which is analytics, AI, and automation. Then we have a very specific focus on business services, um, where we really get down and dirty in how that whole industry is being transformed across the customer experience. And also we look at how the customer experience is tied to the middle and back office of the organization as well. Chris, let's start with you. So you are one of the leading operators in the world of contact centers. So tell us what's going on with modern contact centers. Gosh, I think a lot, Michael. I mean, they've dramatically changed over even the last two to three years where much more technology is involved in the contact centers. Uh, there's a lot more non-voice happening in the contact centers. Uh, I think Phil has talked a lot about one office where you know, back office processes that used to be done outside of a contact center are now being brought into the contact center to allow for better uh, contact and customer resolution. I think we're also seeing a significant amount of investment in really trying to drive uh, analytics within the contact center, not only to make sure that clients get sort of a 360 degree view of their customers, but also that customers don't get frustrated if they you know, tweet at you and then they call in, they want you to understand what they tweeted at you and, and how to resolve things uh, better. In fact, we're seeing clients start to rename them from contact centers to brand engagement centers, to uh, brand centers, to uh, customer resolution centers. So uh, a lot more than just sort of the standard contact center that you might have thought of, you know, a couple, just a couple of years ago. Phil, that's pretty interesting, the, the transformation. And I know that you're studying this and you have studied this for years. Yes, the contact center was really the traditional kind of um, place in, in business process outsourcing where initially uh, companies would uh, assign um, a contracts to companies to get customer services delivered around the world using different languages, often using lower cost locations, etc. And that industry is fairly mature today. It's still growing, believe it or not, at about 5% a year. And uh, I find it quite amusing that um, it's actually uh, hard for call center businesses right now to find enough call center staff. So there's a lot of talk about automating the contact center, but right now, you know, we're just still struggling to find good people to take the calls. Uh, but it is an industry in transition. There's a lot of exciting things happening where we're looking at, you know, mixes of AI type offerings and, and cognitive assistant type offerings that are mixed with human and voice agent offerings as well. But our research has shown that. Uh, focus on the customer experience is the number one strategic imperative from the highest performers in the global 2000. 
And that means there's a lot more focus and attention on that front line, how we're interacting with the customer, not just helping them uh, get what they need quickly, but also anticipating their needs down the road, often before they know what their needs are themselves. So it places companies like Concentrix and, and many of the other complex center businesses in, in a very strategic uh, position in the industry. And we're, we're enjoying watching this battle for who's going to sort of win this war uh, as things continue to evolve. Chris, so we've heard an analyst take on it. And how does this resonate with you? And what does this all mean for you as one of the major suppliers of, of these services in the world? Well, I, I totally agree with uh, Phil. I mean, it's funny, people have said that, you know, contact centers have, are going to be dead or have been dead for years. Uh, but the reality is, is they are growing at, at 5%, which is not insignificant. Uh, and, uh, you know, getting good quality staff in the numbers that we're talking about is not insignificant either. And, and including, you know, the technology going in to help those staff get uh, proficient as quickly as possible is just improving sort of month on month and quarter on quarter. Uh, so really, really dynamic around that perspective. I think also to, to Phil's point, the reality is clients are focused on what is that customer experience that they need to do and how is it aligned to their brand? Are they a VIP brand? Are they a white glove brand? Is it, you know, lowest cost uh, delivery brand? Uh, and then really the ones who are, are winning in the battle for, you know, market share is, is the ones who understand it, look at it holistically and come up with a strategy and then work with a partner on how to deliver on that strategy. And where it works, it's just incredibly, incredibly powerful, not only for our clients to take share, but also uh, lower their cost of operations by improving their revenue, lowering what we call rework of bad disconnect, frustrating engagements, uh, and really allowing for a better experience for their customers. Phil, thoughts on, on that comment? There's a lot of rhetoric and noise, particularly from the IT sector, that contact centers are going to be automated away. It's all about the touchless digital interfaces, the Amazonification of business. But when you consider Amazon itself has 95 call centers across the world and expanding, Airbnb has a large number as well. It tells you that we're in a world now where we're seeing traditional business channels mixing very effectively with uh, digital business channels. I think the acquisition of Whole Foods by Amazon is a perfect example of how to take a traditional channel and really get the perfect hybridization between you know, a human type business transaction and a digital business transaction to increase the business and effectiveness of Whole Foods. And then similarly, when you look at what's going on in the, you know, the, the, the retail pharmaceutical space where suddenly now you can get prescriptions delivered to your front door, all types of things happening, what we're seeing is an increasing ease of doing business, uh, a very um, compelling combination of people and technology and AI and bots uh, to really service the customer uh, very effectively. You know, the evolution of what the contact center is has, has changed pretty dramatically. I think people have this mind that they call in and get a problem resolved. The reality is when uh, people put their brand strategy around the contact center and say, okay, what are they really uh, trying to engage with? There's a lot more sort of consultative engagement with customers. There's a lot more analytics going into the customer experience and saying, okay, this is the journey we need now need to take our customers on. There's a lot more non-voice interactions that are happening, whether it be AI, whether it be you know, better content, whether it be better mobile experiences for the, for the customers. All of that is being driven out of the contact centers. And finally, the, the clients that are really progressive are looking at, you know, give us as much insight as you can about how our customers feel about our products, services, and brand. And the only way of doing that is having very robust tools in the contact center to feed that, filter it out, 
and give it back to the customers to say, this is what your customers are thinking of your, your products and services, which is incredibly powerful. Chris, it sounds to me like this notion of customer experience is really core to your thinking about your business and your relationship to your customers and their relationship to their customers. Absolutely. I mean, it's part of our vision statement that we want to be the greatest customer engagement uh, company in the world. And the reality is, is that the clients who are succeeding and are doing very, very well, and, and Phil named a, a number of them, are just fanatically, fanatically focused on what that customer experience is. And it's more than just a CSAT. It's more than NPS. It's really focused more on sentiment analysis. It's really focused on what's the emotional engagement that that customer has when they engage with a brand and uh, being able to kind of really enrich that. And the customers who really understand, or sorry, the clients who really understand about that emotional connection uh, realize that that's a very different type of engagement that they need to do, both from a tool set, journey, holistic experience perspective, uh, that are, are beating the, sort of, frankly, the, uh, the uh, customers or, or the companies out there that are just focused on lowest cost, get the people off the phone, don't, don't even give them a phone number, uh, and see if they can struggle to figure it out themselves. Chris is... Uh... Chris has always been a very forward-looking uh, guy with what he's doing with Concentrics because I think they came, uh, they were originally a technology business before they uh, merged with the IBM uh, services business about five, six years ago. So it's, it's interesting to see how they've really leveraged technology quite aggressively as they've evolved their companies. But I think when we look at the industry as it is today, we are going through a transition. Uh, companies are trying to figure out um, how fast they can move when they look at emerging technology. They need to make bets on where to make their investments versus maybe less investments, for example. Um, the customer experience is obviously extremely critical to them. And finding the right partners who can help you achieve um, you know, much more empowerment, engagement with your customers is, is more challenging than ever. Because uh, the reality is the partners who often got us here might not be the ones to take us where we want to go. Because you've not just got to understand your customer, you've almost got to second guess them and anticipate where they're going to shift. And you need to get closer to the way they operate. You get to get closer to your agents to make sure they really understand how to interact most effectively. You need to know the pain points. And you need to also understand what your, comp your competition is doing. Each industry is different, right? So when we look at the insurance sector today, you know, we see some very disruptive firms like Lemonade coming along, which could completely change the landscape of that industry. So if you can't move to a very digitized customer service model quickly, you really could be out of the game. Um, you know, I, I presented uh, Lemonade to a major investor the other day, and they actually managed to take out a policy by the time I'd finished the presentation. It was that sort of eye-opening. But then other industries like banking, for example, may move a little slower. It's harder to get customers to switch. But at the same time, customer service is still absolutely imperative as, as a growth mechanism. So we really have to understand the transition we're in, the speed customers are moving at. It's been a conversation Chris and I have had in the past. There's been frustration that sometimes customers just want to keep doing things the same old way. So I'll throw a question out to Chris while, while he's here, which is, do you feel that your customers are moving at a pace that they need to, or do you still feel many are still sort of languishing a bit in, in old habits? 
You know, we still have clients who are languishing in old habits who talk about wanting to reinvent a customer experience and then you're driven to procurement and they start talking about AHT and, and what's the lowest cost per transaction and, and really customer experience is the last thing on their menu of what they want to, right. to procure. But we have more and more clients, both new ones we're acquiring as well as existing ones that realize they, they need to change uh, in order to, to survive and grow and, and do some really innovative things. And that's incredibly exciting. Yeah. What's even more exciting is that we're also seeing a lot of cross-industry uh, looking. So, for instance, we've got an airline that was saying, hey, what's, what's going on in, in sort of the new innovative um, gig economy world for customer service? And we've got a bank who says, look, we don't care what other banks are doing. Show us what the best customer engagement is when it comes to consumer electronics and software. And so we're seeing a lot of these different types of, of, of unique views uh, across industry that are really driving a lot of creativity when it comes to new engagement strategies. And I think that's, that's really where the future is. Um, and then layering on technology, layering on you know, staff, because I do think regardless of how much technology is, there's always going to be people involved and engaged, whether it be voice or non-voice in these interactions, and uh, helping them be as powerful and, and robust as possible. So where do you feel customers are reaching out for help here? Because, you know, it, things are shifting in terms of, you know, they want solutions, they want them now, they want partners who really understand them. Um, you know, a lot of them want to go to traditional technology services or consulting businesses. Others are seemingly partnering more with their contact center businesses themselves. But as you look at the landscape of partners that are evolving here, do you feel, Chris, that your competitors are changing? Are you, are you, do you feel like you're moving into a competitive landscape that you've never seen before? Or do you sometimes feel it's the same as the old school and it's the same old brands that you're coming up against? No, you know, it's interesting. We, we've seen an evolution of who we're competing with. I mean, you're seeing a lot more digital marketing agencies in the space than you've ever seen before. We're seeing a lot more consultative uh, services companies in the space who will then say, well, look, I'll, I'll get together a bundle of services and, and help present this. Uh, we're seeing traditional players that are continuing to evolve and, and grow and, and execute differently. And then we're seeing sort of some unique boutique players who are saying, look, we know how to do mobility and, and mobile apps. And, and frankly, you don't need people. You just need the, the, the killer app to, to go on a desktop right. so or go on a mobile device. So the reality is, is we're seeing a bunch of these different competitors that are, that are coming in uh, to the space, which is, I think, frankly, healthy and, and good uh, overall and, and really drives for a better experience. What we are finding from a client perspective is that there's a lot of debate within our clients about who owns the customer experience. Um, you, you know, there's sometimes, is it the now chief digital officer? Uh, a few of our clients have chief, um, you know, experience officers. Some of our clients, some of it's owned by marketing if it's the website, it's owned by technology if it's the mobile application, it's owned by the sales team or support team if it's the, the, the contact center. And anywhere where that entire experience is owned by one person where there's not one throat to choke, we find that there's troubles. It takes too much right. time internally to engage those different groups to get to what that experience needs to be. Uh, and why do you think that is? Do you feel that customers aren't structuring themselves in the right way to get a holistic view of the customer and it's becoming very piecemeal? Um, you know, do you feel that things, you know, what do you think needs to shift inside the customer to make things move faster? Gosh, that's a good question. A lot of it comes down to the, the, the company's culture is just uh, who owns what and, and is it a legacy reason why they own it or is it just because some areas are problematic? Look, the reality is a lot of people don't want to take on the support part of the organization because 
it generally is a cost center versus a, a revenue center. It's generally where you get escalations versus praise. Um, so that sometimes is, is separated out from some of the other areas. A lot of the marketing uh, you, you know, resources in, in web or, or mobile uh, tend to look at that of saying, well, this is really the future. I don't want to deal with the legacy. Where we found the big change agents is honestly where there's a leadership team at the top that says customer experience is critical. This is totally strategic to us. And we need to either assign someone to, to own it from uh, beginning to end uh, and put on this holistic feel to it. That's where we're seeing big gains. And, and frankly, those are the clients that are really exciting to work with because th there's no uh, preconceived notions. Everything's up for grabs. And they really started the base of saying, what is that customer journey with our brand? And how do we lay it out? And how do we beat our competition with it? And we have an interesting question from Melissa O'Brien who makes the point that Amazon has over 95 contact centers globally. And contact centers are now about the blend of digital and traditional business models. So any thoughts on that, this business model aspect? No, I just, I just think it was just building on earlier for what we were talking about with the fact that Amazon did that move with Whole Foods as a great example of how to take a traditional retail business and really blend that with a digital complete model from you know customer to supplier, for example, and things like that. Um, and it's very interesting how it's the blending of the model that is driving new demand and new interest uh, than just having, let's move to pure automation and that sort of thing. But it really depends on the industry, the way the customer wants to be serviced, the times that they need to have interaction, with voice versus digital versus maybe even an Alexa, that type of thing. So things are moving pretty dramatically in that, in that regard. Yeah, I, I would agree with Phil. I mean, the reality is, is a business model is one, one element, right? I, I think brand identity is another element that, that takes a lot of uh, thought and changes how people use contact centers and, and use type of any engagement services that go along with it. We are seeing a lot more channels pop up, uh, regardless of the business model, to, to Phil's point. Alexa is now becoming a big one. Google Home is becoming a big one. It's like, you, you know, we, we just put in a... Um, uh, uh, Alexa app for someone that uh, you can actually ask for my retirement savings and uh, Alexa will tell you what it is and you can say well if I want to retire 10 years from now and uh, Alexa will interact with the, uh, the, the the financial institution that we did the support for that basically will we'll have that whole conversation without any advisor uh, being, being, being there. So all these new channels are, are, are popping up that are enhancing the business models I think but um, fundamentally it still comes back to what is the brand what does it want to represent and how does it want to engage its customers? Chris, what do all of these changes imply for your business model? Because as all of this technology changes and your customer expectations change, obviously it has to have an impact on you, your business model, your processes, how you think about investment, all of these kinds of things, how you think about customer relationships between you and the companies that hire engage you. Absolutely. I mean, we, we have a, a model of how we want to engage with our, our customers and, and how we develop partnerships with them and what we look at and how we govern uh, around those partnerships. But frankly, I mean, we're looking at everything from start to beginning, like from recruiting. Are we hiring the right people to come in and, and work in the new tool sets with a lot more technology? Our requirements for a lot more empathy, right, is a skill set that might not as be as robust as, as what we need in our workforce. Um, in terms of multitasking and, and having more consultation 
consultative engagement and talking with customers, whether it be through voice or non-voice versus more scripted interactions, because there's nothing worse than people get as a scripted interaction when they're, when they're talking to someone. Uh, we're looking for people who understand and, and can be thought-provoking on sort of the insights that they give, even at the frontline level to say, hey, I'm, I'm listening to all this interaction with customers. There's a better way of doing this. So not only how we recruit them, it's also how we train them. There's a lot more gamification in place. No one wants to sit through six weeks of PowerPoint presentations and, and uh, you know, figure out how to do the job. They want to have a lot more engagement interaction. Um, they're used to uh, technology being very, very simple. So one of our biggest uh, complaints from some of our staff is, hey, the customer's technology, the screens that we're asking for and we're using are antiquated. We still have clients who have green screens. Um, and uh, they're like, I download an app from the App Store and it's instantaneous and it works so smoothly. Well, why can't this happen? So spending a lot more time on changing the technology that our staff are using and working with our clients from, from that standpoint. And then lastly, uh, you know, Phil's been talking about this for a long time, whether you know, call it RPA, call it AI, call it whatever you want to, to, to call it. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of tedious work that needs to come out of the contact centers that people don't enjoy doing, that generally slows down the process for the customer. Uh, and our goal is to erode, you know, a fairly significant portion of our revenue every year by just automation, 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 so that our people are really focused on high value engagement and interactions with customers. So really changes right across the supply chain when it comes to this business. We have another question from Twitter from Gus Beckdash, and I'll ask this to either one of you. And Gus says, contact centers are very fragmented businesses. So launching new technology like AI is hard, except at the high end of the market. Would some companies accept greater uniformity in return for having new approaches that improve customer service? I think one of the biggest challenges that we haven't spoken about so much today is getting the right data to really understand the customer more effectively. So when that customer is in communication, whether it's digital, whether it's voice, uh, the, the company understands them and can anticipate what they want. You know, you know, they know the history of your usage, that sort of thing. And I feel the biggest uh, problem in the industry right now is broken marketing processes. Um, and I was having a conversation with a couple of CDOs recently, and we talked about RPA as an example, and they actually came out and said, we could get some better automation across our marketing, sort of fixing some of these manual workarounds and broken processes. It would have a huge impact on our business. But the problem is, is a lot of CMOs and CDOs, for example, they think that's sort of beneath them. And I think uh, one of the key things that we need to start thinking about here is fixing underlying processes so we get better data, because uh, it's all about data, ultimately, understanding the customer, predicting the customer. Um, and a lot of customers are really, really struggling with that right now. And, and I think that's where firms like Concentrix can really get ahead and building some type of uniform platforms. So customer data platforms, for example, that's a really hot topic right now in the industry. There's a lot of little startups, a lot of players in that space. Now you've got your bigger players like your Pagers and your Salesforces, and then you've got little startups coming in. Getting that customer data platform right, having some type of uniformity, having an underbed, having a, having a real capability and backbone is where this has to go. And, and I feel you know until 
enterprises actually fix those underlying processes, they're going to struggle to see real progress. Yeah, I, I would agree with Phil. It's interesting. We have a little over 50 unicorns that we deal with. And where they built the application and they built the experience from ground up, their data is is uh, fantastic. And frankly, they're the first to drive more machine learning. They're the first not to have sort of sort of bad processes for the most part. And they're the first to kind of look at AI and, and some of these new, new advanced tools and be able to actually get some use out of them, even in small scale. Um, to Phil's point on the enterprise, not only marketing processes and, and data points are broken, we've got disparate financial systems, disparate pick, pack, and ship systems, disparate customer systems. We, we have you know, a large client that has, I, I think, 11 or 12 Salesforce instances for their customer base. And so when you get those types of challenges, to, to Phil's point, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be put into place to get that uniformity on the data side to then say, okay, now we can actually speak intelligently to our customers and have one voice. Um, but but that's, that is a long uh, trek to go, and uh, a lot of work needs to go down that path before you start to see, see, see big Im improvements. I think from an AI perspective overall, uh, look, we've, we've played around with it. We have clients who play around with it. There's definitely some great use cases. Um, is it taking out vast amounts of, of, of work of the systems? We're not necessarily seeing that, to Phil's point, just because some of the data is just not there to connect all the different points. Um, and uh, I, I always remember the best analogy I've had is sometimes it's like talking to a six-year-old. Uh, you know, one statement is great. It can respond to it. But when you start to layer on context and you start to layer on the whole experience, it kind of falls flat and, and, and frankly detracts. And we've seen this, uh, some technology deployed in this area detracts from customer uh, sentiment and actually gives you a, a lower CSAT score, maybe at a lower cost, but a lower CSAT score. And I don't know anyone who's trying to try to drive to that, that, that area. We have another question from Twitter. Zachary Jeans asks, how do you keep a vocal minority of customers from having too much impact on your decisions around customer experience and your product roadmap? Phil, you want to grab that one first? It's true. A vocal minority can swamp what your customers really want. Uh, so having a very strong ability to understand customer sentiment across the board is absolutely critical. So it depends what business you're in. It depends how you interact with your customers, how you get data from your customers, uh, especially during calls and that sort of thing as well. Um, so firstly, it's understanding that there is a vocal you know, minority because sometimes many companies don't. They just hear noise come in. They see public complaints on social media, things like that. Uh, they really got to understand the core issues. They really have to set up a data platform in a way that they have that information. They really understand what the key issues are and how to get ahead of them. So I think, again, it all boils back to the intelligence of your capabilities, uh, the smartness of the people running your customer operations. So they actually know this is just maybe 10% of our customer base and the other 90% is actually perfectly happy with this issue to get ahead of that. To me, it's a combination of things. First of all, it is making sure that uh, the tail isn't wagging the dog by understanding the, the data and having the right data and capturing the right data properly and, and using it. I think the second thing is, uh, that's why I'm a huge, huge proponent of sentiment analysis, where you're, you're not sending out a survey and saying, hey, fill this out, because that only gets 10 to 15% of the people who respond, and you either get the highs and the lows on those surveys versus sort of the, 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 the masses. Um, and, and in that sentiment analysis, it's really understanding, okay, what, what moves the needle and, and what's important? Uh, and I think it's also important because what it brings out is we, we have this common debate that says if you have somebody who contacts you 
who's extremely loyal to your brand and they have an okay engagement and they still like your band, but they're just not as, as fanatical about it. Is that better or worse than someone who is really contacting you because they're incredibly, incredibly frustrated with your brand and you get them to be neutral where they're not going on Twitter and saying, I, I hate this company. And, and the reality is, is that right now, uh, there's a lot of debate around that because all the uh, you know, systems generally are saying, oh, focus on either the, the, the bottom quartile or the top, but not how do you actually move everyone up uh, across yes. the whole spectrum of engagement. So it's really, really, really fascinating stuff. And I think that also will help uh, drive sort of um, better subjective engagement with customers versus kind of running around. We have one interesting customer who actually grades their customers internally with a customer score. And depending on what that customer score, which they link to influence and share of wallet and a whole host of other things, is, um, is how they will react to a comment that comes in. So if comments come in from this sort of quadrant of, of people, they take it very, very seriously. If quadrants come in from this quadrant of people, they go, hmm, okay, interesting, but let's see where, where, where it goes before we take action. And, and you're seeing that going back to the data and, and just being uh, a lot more versed and, and having uh, a lot more ability to articulate what's coming out from the data. Phil, it sounded like you were, you were agreeing, and I don't know if you had another comment on that as well. It's getting me thinking a bit. I, I had the pleasure of meeting Bill Clinton a few weeks ago, and he said one thing which resonated with me, which was he thought social media was great when it first hit the scene because he thought no one could control it. <laughs> and now it's become a real issue for obviously not just politicians, but businesses in general. And you can get minorities of people making a lot of noise on social media, which you need to control You know, if you're running a business. So it could be you're running an airline and there's two or three companies and clients who really hate you and they're going out and attacking your brand all the time, you've got to figure out how do you manage that minority to keep the majority away from that as well. So I do think that there are shifts happening in society that's having a big impact on how we actually uh, manage this moving forward. And then there's no hard and fast answer to this beyond you've got to be really smart about this. You need to have people managing your social media uh, sites as well as your own data platforms and your own call centers to really get ahead of this. You know, this isn't just, there isn't a set way of doing this. You've got to be really smart. You've got to understand your customers. You've got to really focus on sort of controlling the noise as much as you can. Yeah, and it's also speed of response, right? Because, yeah. um, you know, sometimes people thought of social media as an afterthought. And, and still to this day, there's some, some big brands that if you tweet at them, if you get a response back in two or three days, uh, you're, you're doing well. Um, yet there's others that you tweet and within yeah. a minute, you'll, you'll get a response back. Um, and clearly, we're seeing more and more companies going, okay, e even if they're a minority, even if they've, they've got something, to, to Phil's point, before it starts roller coasting, let's figure out what to deal with it. Let's figure out how to deal with it and, and address it in almost real time. I have a question, Chris. As somebody who is a consumer of call center services, because I shop like everybody else shops and have questions about the products, why is it that some companies have just excellent service while others don't, and it's terrible? Uh, yeah, uh, that's a great question. Look, I'll tell you, um, my experience, personal experience, is always comes from the top of our clients. If the client's executive team you know, strongly, strongly believe in customer experience, and they, they, they focus on things like that. They procure, which is really critically important, procure around customer experience. 
and they have uh, collaboration around the different groups around customer experience, then that's when you get that incredible you know, customer experience. And those are the companies that you read about and hear about all the time going, wow, this incredible experience happened and, and people share on social media and, and they, they drive great brand loyalty. Where you get fractured ownership uh, of the experience, where you get, uh, I'll call it lip service to customer experience, and then it goes to a procurement team. And Phil jokes about this because I, I, I hate to say it, but I call the procurement team one of the great devaluers of, of, of businesses is where they solely buy on certain things. Um, and, and it's not on customer experience. It's not close cause of ownership. It's simply driving down to the lowest cost of transaction then you will get these very, very different types of customer experiences. And they can be frustrating. They tend to be driven by monopolies in certain markets because they don't necessarily need to improve. But those times are changing. As, as, as Phil pointed out with you know, new uh, insurance companies, new banking companies, new, like there's a, a new disruptive model coming out in almost every segment of our business that have kind of thrown out the old and said, hey, we're going to compete on customer experience. Uh, I think that's why it's one of really exciting times right now. It's interesting. I uh, I met with the uh, head of operations for HSBC Bank uh, a few months ago, and they had a real issue with their customer experience. They were like number seven in the term, in the banking league for Europe, I think it was, in terms of customer sat. And First Direct was number one. So what did they do? They went and acquired First Direct. A lot of it was because they really couldn't shift the culture and how to improve their own uh, customer intimacy and customer customer experiences. And they wanted to learn from another company. They wanted to bring that culture into the business as well. So in some instances, it's very cultural. It's something that's been in the company a long time. You need to figure out maybe a game-changing initiative that can shift things. Sometimes it's outsourcing. It could quite simply be, hey, let's, let's go to Concentrix or Teleperformance or Cytel or one of these firms to see if they can shift our culture and do this differently as well. And that, that's often what has to happen to, uh, to change the game. We have another question from Twitter. This is for both of you. You've been focusing on contact center. Is that a new name for the call center? Gosh, Phil, I, I think it comes up with a new name. Uh, everyone comes up with a new name every couple of months. Uh, mm -hmm. As I mentioned, we have clients who call it uh, brand engagement centers because the reality is, is in our centers, probably um, 30, 40, even 50, 60% of the volume can be non-voice uh, and have other things and, and other types of engagement. So um, contact centers, sort of term of the day, but the reality is it's, it's really about uh, customer engagement centers that, that are probably the most prevalent and, and properly articulate what we actually do. I think it, the contact center is a fairly meaningless term. You can, you can call up your IT support line and you'll get put through to a contact center in Bangalore or whatever to fix your IT problem, but it's not called a contact center because it's an IT services shop. Same with finance and accounting. Could, you could even call your doctor helpline and you get put through to an offshore doctor in Manila, that sort of thing. So um, a contact center really is a housed building where you have service staff who are delivering needs for you, whether it's a customer engagement, whether it's something purely fulfillment, focus, whatever. So I think it's a fairly broad term. Um, and I think Chris has a very good point that there needs to be a better shift in how do we term it, uh, how we talk about these things because uh, it's more of an engagement center. It's like, how do you get service? I mean, I called my mobile phone provider the other day. I had no idea 
who was servicing me and where he was from. He could have been in Manila, he could have been in Mexico. You know, I, I was tempted to ask him after a while, but it just gets to the point of I'm engaging with this customer. What type of service am I getting? Is there any follow up afterwards? That sort of thing. So, and, and you know, frankly, the physical uh, idea of everyone sitting in the same space is is no longer valid. I mean, frankly, we have uh, some customers that their engagement center wraps around you know twenty, thirty different centers around the world and follows the sun, and it, it's very, very seamless. We have thousands of people who work at home as as individuals who will support brands and do amazing jobs of of customer engagement. Uh, and then we have gig workers who are sort of independent and will spend a couple hours here and a couple hours there over a course of a month uh, supporting a client or, or supporting a customer. So the, the whole premise of everyone sitting in one space is also somewhat um, old school and not necessarily reflective of what this uh, new business looks like and, and how people service their customers. Chris, you're a consumer. You buy things. You have to get tech support, I'm sure, at various times. So when you're calling up some company, whoever it is, bank, phone company, whatever, uh, asking for support, what goes through your mind? Well, you know what? I, I have a very, very high bar. <laughs> and I talk about it in staff meetings all the time. I always give a great customer example and a bad customer example of, of brands that I interact with. And I, I look at everything from, you know, is it a scripted uh, experience? Is it not? Is it technology for the sake of technology or is technology really helping? Like, is it a bot that I have to, you know, get out of because I can't get something solved or not? And I intentionally, because of the business I'm in, go out and look for these experiences. Uh, and I also look at the company culture. Um, you know, a great example is I, I uh, have a very favorite airline. I'll call them out because I love them so much. Cathay, they're not a client of ours, but I had a problem. I, 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 I tweeted and, you know, instant response, uh, instant, um, you know, engagement. I mean, just fantastic. I mean, it, it was a great experience. I have another airline that, that, I, that I had an issue with and, and, and talked to them and they said, well, we can't tell you who runs customer service uh, for privacy information and we can't really help you. And, and you know, um, sorry, and, and I hope you have a nice day as they left me stranded in an airport in, in, a, in a foreign country. So the reality is, is that uh, it, it's all about that. Um, do you feel engaged? Are you emotionally connected to the experience? Do they resolve your problem? And you walk away going, wow, I would spend money with that company again. And if you spend money with that company again, they've done their job. Fair enough. Okay, we're just about out of time. And I'd like to close by asking each of you to provide advice. And Maybe, Phil, I'll ask you first to provide your advice, advice as somebody who looks at this industry so broadly and for such a long time, your advice to the contact center or engagement center industry. What advice do you have for them? That's a very good question. Uh, I was thinking you're going to ask me about the people who buy services. So it's sometimes more fun to talk about the people who sell services. First thing is stop trying to sell services the way that you're structured to sell them and start thinking about selling them the way your customers want to buy them because that's the big difference now. It's uh, really understanding what your customers want and being able to come up with a almost like a portfolio approach of servicing their needs, making sure you've got the right uh, startups and, and relationships and expertise around you to deliver many of the things they need. Um, Stop trying to maybe sound the same as everybody else and just really listen to what they want and really get people in who understand 
the nuances of AI, of automation, machine learning, all the things that are really changing the industry right now. Because if you don't do that and you're just focusing on saying we do better customer service, at some point, uh, you're going to see a downscale in your business. Because when we look at the uh, contact center industry right now, it's pretty much uh, the same established set of players, the same you know, 500 logos. Uh, it's a shuffling of the pack that's going on all the time. And it's a bit of a race to the bottom in terms of who's going to win this war. So you've got to focus on rising to the top. You've got to focus on analytics, automation, and AI and have that conversation. If your company isn't doing that and you're worried about that and you want to be a real leader in this industry, then go and work for a contact center provider who does because you have a choice. And Phil, let me just uh, very quickly, because we are going to run out of time. Uh, what advice do you have for companies that are buying contact center services? Really fast, please. Look at your customer processes, figure out exactly how you want to wire them, configure them, and the outcomes you want, and then look at who can deliver on them. Don't try and buy new kits, new tech for the sake of it. Figure out exactly what you want and then figure out how best to get it. Great. And Chris, it looks like you're going to get the last word. What advice do you have for companies that want that that want to provide better experience to their customers? Don't don't buy uh, technology or kit for the sake of being new. Make sure that there's uh, sort of a clear direction and decision of what your brand is. Do you know your brand strategy? Most clients cannot articulate that clearly. Uh, make sure you work with a company that you're culturally aligned to, uh, that you uh, are going to be transparent with and have those conversations so that you can actually move forward versus trying to figure out and play this offense-defense thing that keeps going along. And I'd also say that the companies that really create wow experiences for their customers are ones that enable their frontline staff, uh, whether it be their partner or their own, to, to do wow experiences, right? That they're not measured on the clock and if they get two seconds over on a, on a call or a, or a chat or a tweet, that they're penalized, that they are actually able, engaged and empowered to make sure that they're wow experiences. And if you, if you get those three out of the way, frankly, um, the, the rest is a lot easier. Chris, again, very, very fast. I need to follow up with one last question, which is you mentioned brand strategy. And so from your perspective, what is the link between a company's brand strategy and customer experience, including the contact center? Very simple. If you have your brand strategy, you know how you want to treat the clients or customers. You know what the experience they want to walk away from every engagement is. You know what your cost model is to provide that level of experience. And you know what you're expecting from that experience. So that if you go to a customer and say, how is your experience with my brand? They will tell you exactly what you want to hear. If there's a disconnect anywhere along there, that's where you get, uh, you know, frankly, the, the back and forth and the mismatched expectations with, uh, with your customers. All right. And we are out of time. This has been a very fast 45 minutes and very interesting discussion. I would like to thank our two guests, Chris Caldwell, who is the president of Concentrix. They're one of the largest suppliers of services for call centers in the world. And Phil First, he is the founder and CEO of HFS Research. It's become in 10 short years, one of the top industry analyst firms in the world. Gentlemen, thank you so much for taking your valuable time to be here with us today. I really appreciate it. Yes, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Everybody, before you go, subscribe on YouTube 
and hit the subscribe button at the top of our website and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter. We have incredible shows coming up, so be sure to check our website frequently and we'll see you again soon. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>